Let's go ahead and get started. All right, I'm late. Okay, good morning. Let's go ahead and get started today. And uh, I see there's a few ladies out in the hall, so we'll give them a chance to, uh, to get in and, and get seated. And I'll, uh, I'll, I'll just tell you very briefly, some of you already know, but uh, I did defend my PhD dissertation on Thursday, or on Wednesday. What? Where am I? <laughs> you know, I've been in a cloud ever since, you know. Um, Wednesday afternoon, I, I successfully defended my, my PhD dissertation, so yay. <laughs> Thank you. Oh. It was quite a thing, and I, I felt really good about it. And um, then they, after they said congratulations, they said, here's what we want you to revise. And so <laughs> I'm like, man, you guys are joy killers, you know. <laughs> but, and, and then I guess that's normal. I, I asked the department chair, I'm like, you know, because I'm like a problem solver, you know, and like I'm always like hovering over things I need to fix. That's my personality. And so I'm like, what's wrong with it? What do I got to do? And, and, and he said, I've never had a dissertation that didn't need revision. And I said, okay, that makes me feel better. <laughs> but at any rate, so, um, so that was good. And uh, so now moving forward. And um, today we're going to talk about Colossians chapter 2. And uh, as we take a look at it, it's, it's rich in baptismal imagery. And it's there's a lot going on, and I have a, a really juicy pastor story for you today. Yeah, it's a good one. It is a really good story. And um, let's go ahead and, and turn to chapter 2. Now, so today I have the Revised Standard Version of the Bible. The Revised Standard Version. And um, so you can, it'll read a little differently than the ESV, but um, it's, it's not bad. So let's go ahead and take a look at Colossians chapter 2. For I want you to know how greatly I strive for you and for those at Laodicea and for all who have not seen my face, that their hearts may be encouraged as they are knit together in love, to have all the riches of assured understanding and the knowledge of God's mystery of Christ, in whom are hid all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. I say this in order that no one may delude you with beguiling speech. For though I am absent in body, yet I am with you in spirit, rejoicing to see your good order and the firmness of your faith in Christ. As therefore you received Christ Jesus the Lord, so live in him, rooted and built up in him and established in the faith, just as you were taught, abounding in thanksgiving. See to it that no one makes a prey of you by philosophy and empty deceit, according to human tradition, according to the elemental spirits of the universe, and not according to Christ." For in him the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily, and you have come to fullness of life in him who is the head of all rule and authority. 
In him also you were circumcised with a circumcision made without hands by putting off the body of flesh and the circumcision of Christ. And you were buried with him in baptism, in which you were also raised with him through faith in the working of God, who raised him from the dead. And you, who were dead in trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with him, having forgiven us all our trespasses, having canceled the bond which stood against us with its legal demands. This he set aside, nailing it to the cross. He disarmed the principalities and powers and made a public example of them, triumphing over them in him. Therefore, let no one pass judgment on you in questions of food and drink or with regard to a festival or a new moon or a Sabbath. These are only a shadow of what is to come, but the substance belongs to Christ. Let no one disqualify you, insisting on self-abasement and worship of angels, taking his stand on visions, puffed up without reason by his sensuous mind, and not holding fast to the head, from whom the whole body, nourished and knit together through its joints and ligaments, grows with a growth that is from God. If with Christ you died to the elemental spirits of the universe, why do you live as if you still belong to the world? Why do you submit to regulations? Do not handle, do not taste, do not touch, referring to things which all perish as they are used, according to human precepts and doctrines. These have indeed an appearance of wisdom in promoting rigor of devotion and self-abasement and severity to the body, but they are of no value in checking the indulgence of the flesh. Okay, so when you look at that chapter, chapter 2 is going after both the Gnostic forms, but then also some of the Jewish forms that, are, that were in existence at that time. So Paul's writing to the church in Colossae, and he is addressing the immediate needs and the context around which the church lives in that place. And as I've said before, he is really going after Gnostics in this, in this letter. And they, as I said before, they denied the bodily things, material things, as being good. They saw anything material as evil. And so that would mean, as I've said before, God would not take on flesh in their minds. Um, he, God is spiritual, and therefore God, which is spiritual, stays away from material things in the Gnostic fashion. And so Paul is addressing that in chapter 2. Um, and you can also hear circumcision language, um, where he reinterprets uh, circumcision as, and weaves it into baptism. And so Colossians 2 is a, a baptismal text. Uh, you can hear as we approach Passion uh, Holy Week, um, you, you can hear the Passion language in chapter 2 as he unites Christ's passion to baptism. It also uh, comes off of chapter 1 
particularly uh, verses 15 to 20, where he talks about uh, Jesus is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. You know, that stuff is very important as he talks to them, as he writes to them. Now, in an interesting way, Paul had never seen these people face to face. Uh, And bless you. And he laments this, that he has not been able to be with them in person. So, you know, there is a lot going on in, in this text. What I see that is perhaps helpful for us today is to think about the pastoral concern that he has for his readers. He had never met them, but he wants to be with them. And I think I've mentioned before that in Philippians chapter 2, there is some language about comfort. And in Greek, there are different kinds of comfort, and there, this deals with a specific kind of comfort in Colossians 2. Because Paul is trying to emphasize an anti-Gnostic teaching, so just think about this, right? He is teaching these folks about presence, right? Being, being in a physical locale and it being a good thing. He's thinking in terms of Jesus and how Jesus comes in the flesh and dwells among us. And so think about how he must feel that he can't physically be there, right? Because as we know, we, teaching should be backed up by practice, right? Teaching and practice go hand in hand. So I think Paul has a little bit of angst and a little nervousness that he's talking about the bodily, physical form of the Christian existence, and yet he can't be there. And so he's, he's sort of dealing with this a little bit in the Greek text. So as we look at this, you look at uh, particularly the first five verses. So he says, he talks about his agony in, in this, in the opening verse here in chapter two. It says in, in this version, I want you to know how greatly I strive for you. But in Greek, it's I, I desire for you to know with what agony I have over you. And for those in Laodicea, and all those who have not seen my face in the flesh. That's a literal translation from the Greek. And then in verse 2, in order that their hearts may be comforted, is how it is in Greek, that, that their hearts may be comforted, being confirmed in love and in all of the richness and uh, what firmness of understanding. So what is 
What I want to talk about today is this word in verse 2, in order that their hearts may be comforted. How does it read here? That their hearts may be encouraged. Does anybody have... What does the ESV say? Okay. All right. That their hearts may be encouraged. Okay. And that's a good translation. What's This word in Greek is uh, parakaleo. Uh, we get the word paraclete. So you've heard of the Holy Spirit referred to as the Holy Paraclete. The Holy Comforter. And I love that uh, uh, that that description of the Holy Spirit, that the Holy Spirit is a comforter. And this kind of comfort works its way into Philippians 2. Uh, In fact, you don't have to turn to this, but I'll, I'll give you the sense of it. So in Philippians chapter 2, verse 1, It says, if there is any consolation or comfort in Christ. Um, Consolation or comfort in Christ is paraklesis. So, paraclete, parakaleo. It's the same, it's it's basically the same word that's in Colossians 2, verse 2. So, what Paul is driving at is that the kind of comfort that he wants the hearts of the people to receive is that which springs out of the Holy Spirit, the work of the Holy Spirit. But it's, it's a comfort that is close by. Because in Philippians 2, as he goes on, he says then, if there... So if there's any consolation in Christ, if there's any comfort of love, so he's sort of linking those two phrases together. If there's any consolation in Christ, if there's any comfort of love, the word comfort, so that second, that second phrase, that comfort of love, that comfort literally means to sit down right next to somebody and be physically with them which kind of goes along with what we talked about two weeks ago when I talked about, um, you know, being, not knowing what to say to people sometimes in the midst of their suffering. Remember that? I talked about how lots of times we like to be people that have a word for someone, a word that comforts. And sometimes in the midst of suffering, you just don't know what to say. And so you can pray with them, you can read scripture with them, but sometimes you just have to sit with them and share with them and love them. And this is very central to this, this idea in Colossians 2 uh, and Philippians 2 that being a Christian is has a presence to it in this world. And this is defined and derived by the way of Christ. Since Jesus, his incarnation, his coming in the flesh, 
brings this sort of presence and this sort of comfort. So I don't know how the, the Gentile um, audience would have heard it, but I feel like the Jewish audience would have understood and related well because they have that practice of sitting shiva. And That's right. when you read Job, Job is going through a lot of suffering, but it's not really horribly bad until all of his friends open their mouth. Yeah. Yeah, no, that's exactly right. Yeah, no, the Jewish people would understand this concept very well. And in fact, the, the word in Philippians 2 for, that's used for comfort of love, that word is also used in the Gospels for the mourners who come and mourn for the dead. Okay, so it's a Jewish concept they would have known very well. What would the Gentiles have done with that? I don't know because for them, everything resides in the mind. And, um, and so in a way, you know, Gnostic forms, Gnostic thought forms do spring out of Greek philosophy uh, because, this is kind of an aside, but um, you can kind of store this way and think about it later, that allegory which is an interpretation of scripture, which is a spiritualizing of scripture, allegory sprung out of um, a reaction to Gnostics and Greek thought forms because the Greeks were doing certain things with interpretations. And um, even in Greek philosophy, they would do allegory to make sense of the sins of their gods right? Because you know Greek mythology, the Greek gods were not that great. So what do you do with that? You read a text and, you know, Zeus is doing this and that, and you're like, all right, we got to allegorize this, or it, that's, otherwise it's not going to work, you know? So allegory came out of Greek philosophy, and so then the early Christians did allegory as a reaction, and I mean, there's a whole lot, <clears throat> there's a whole lot going on there. But so, Gnostic form springs out of a lot of that kind of stuff. I think. I just realized I, I used the term sitting shiva, but didn't, I don't know. I didn't, didn't explain the practice at all. Oh, that's okay. Yeah, that's all right. That's okay. Yeah, no, it's all right. But um, at any rate, so. What Paul is trying to do here is he is using this language for encourage and urge and, you know, it leads to comfort. Um, and in the Gospel of John, Jesus uses it in his last earthly sermon. Uh, I've got them listed here at the top of page one. You know, you could look at John 14, 16, and 26, and 15, 26, uh, 16, 7, and then 1 John 2, 1, and note the usage of that language with the Holy Spirit. Um, we could look at maybe one or two just very quickly. So John 14, 16. Yeah, so here it is. Here's the, uh, here's the great example of, of the usage of the word. And I will ask the Father, and he will give 
give, which is like a gift. He will gift you another paracleton, another comforter. How does it read here in English? Counselor. Yeah, counselor. Yep, so he'll give you another counselor, paracleton. Counselor, comforter. In order that he will be with you, or let's see. To be, in order that he will be with you forever. So notice how that, so here's the thing, like in biblical studies, and especially like Greek studies, what's happening here is you're seeing the word used, parakleton, and then what's said after it gives the sense. So it's, it's informing you a little bit of what it actually looks like. And so this counselor or comforter that is gifted to you is one that will be with you. So it, that verse is giving the sense of presence. It's the kind of counselor. It's the kind of comfort. It's the kind of encourager that, that abides, you know, which leads you into the hymn, Abide With Me. Yes? Uh, so the translations helper, comfort, comforter, all seem very different. Mm-hmm. Can you speak to why there's such a difference in the translation? Is it pointing to like the multi-dimensions of the Holy Spirit? And... It could, yeah. Um, you know, modern translations were always done by committee, you know. <laughs> and so, you know, all the scholars are sitting around a table and they're wrestling over a text. And, um, you know, there's different, slightly different thoughts on, you know, what is exactly happening in the text. And, you know, and then as you said, there are different dimensions to the Holy Spirit. Uh, how is this word used in other places? And, you know, the word itself uh, means, you know, to, to urge towards something. Okay, so it's to urge, there's a, there's a certain urging towards something. And uh, then it moves in, so maybe that would be the counselor part, right? The encouraging, the urging, you know, the counseling, right? Um, but then it's also, a, have, it has a comforting side to it, and then it also has a presence side, which, as you said, is very that's a very Jewish sort of form of way of thinking and living. And so it's, it's interesting to me how these things come up in different places. And what, what I would like to do as we think about this is think about what Paul is saying. So in, in Colossians chapter 1 at verse 15, you know, he says, Jesus is the image of the invisible God the firstborn of all creation. So Jesus is in the flesh and he is God from heaven, right? From eternity. And yet he is located. And so God, this leads us to the sense of God's love. And this leads us into chapter two in Colossians, how God is not a God who is far away from us but he is located, he's close, he's present. 
And the Holy Spirit follows suit. The, the Holy Comforter, the Consoling One, He abides close. Where you, find, where you find Jesus, there you find the Holy Spirit. And then, of course, in Colossians chapter 2, it's leading us into baptism. And this is important for us as we think about life and we think about the things that we go through in life. Uh, there's so much here in the handout that you could look at on your own. Um, as Paul is thinking about his absence, um, he laments it. There's a healthy sense of presence as a means of comfort in the ancient world. There were, in the uh, Old Testament, bearers of comfort. So thinking about Job, which you mentioned, you know, that's rich in that, in that book. And Job 29.25 is a good example of how one comforts. So that says, I chose their way and sat as chief, and I dwelt like a king among his troops, like one who comforts mourners. So see how he, see what he does there? I sat as chief, and I dwelt like a king among his troops. So you think about a battlefield, and, you know, the ensuing battle is scary, right? Am I going to, right? Before a battle, am I going to live? Am I going to die? How's this going to go? Are we going to win? Are we going to lose? And then you start getting all wrapped up in your head, and then your king comes riding out to the front, and everybody's encouraged, you know? Um, And it's this kind of comfort that Job is talking about. And then you have means of comfort. Visits were customary in the biblical world. And there's Genesis, and then there's Job, of course, again. Bread and a cup are often offered, as well as consolations, in the midst of this kind of present comfort or consolation. The association of bread and wine as a means of comfort is one of the oldest combinations and, you know, you have Melchizedek. Um, but, well, let's see. Genesis 14. Genesis 14, verses 17 to 24. We won't look at it all, but um, it is the example where Melchizedek, king of Salem, brings out bread and wine after a battle. He was priest of God Most High. And he blessed Abram and said, Blessed be Abram by God Most High, maker of heaven and earth, and blessed be God Most High, who has delivered your enemies into your hand. So that's a good example. Melchizedek, who has no genealogy, right? No beginning, no end. And you're like, hmm, who is this Melchizedek? You know? And, uh, and yet, after the battle, he comes and is present and there's bread and there's wine. And so think about this in terms of our own faith and practice and how we have the gospel read, right? We gather in the divine service. We have the scriptures read. We pray. We listen to the sermon. 
the Lord comes to us in the midst of this, and then the Lord's Supper, the Eucharist, is offered. And so what is happening is we are following off of all these examples in the Bible where when God comforts, when God comes, there's bread and there's wine, and he's present. And so we get to enjoy this wonderful gift with our Lord's presence, a close presence where he abides with us. And of course, Jesus amps it up by saying, take, eat, this is my body, take, drink, this is my blood. So what he's doing, I think, is putting these together. The sense of consolation and comfort and presence and victory and bread and wine. And then he says, I'm going to be here. And Noah, Noah, the name Noah in Hebrew means quiet, soothing, comforting. And then you have divine comfort, which is the true consolation. Boy, and I always say, like, when I'm doing the study, I'm always like, I, look, I put in, in uh, all caps, read these very comforting passages, and then I look at the clock, and I'm like, there's no way, I don't have time. <laughs> Story of my life. But, um, you know, think, so turn the page, and let's take a look at page two. So he also consoles the whole people of God. So what happens is the Lord consoles people in the Old Testament. Consolation for individuals. That's at the bottom of page one. But then he also consoles the whole people of God. And there's some passages here. Psalm 23 is a beautiful psalm as we know. It deals with comfort and it deals with the notion of a cup that runs over. I mean, there is a lot cooking in the 23rd Psalm because, you know, well, maybe that'll be, I'll leave it for another time. But Psalm 23 um, really is, it has a a Holy Week kind of theme uh, down in in the Gihon Springs, down in the River Gihon down there. Uh, it was known as the Valley of the Shadow of Death uh, because the what would happen is the the blood from the sacrifices that were left over in the temple were piped out and they would go into the Gihon River and it would run down and so it became known as the Valley of the Shadow of Death. You see. And so then there's Jesus praying in the Garden of Gethsemane, and then he rides in. So he goes, you know, he goes through that area as he rides in to die. And so, um, you know, you think about this really impresses, it's an impression upon our Lord's sacrifice for us, which is present and in the flesh. And uh, then we get a cup that runs over. Yes. Jesus prays the 22nd Psalm. Yes. We've been praying the 22nd Psalm. We don't get to pray the 23rd Psalm. Exactly. Yeah, that's a very good point. Yeah, he prays the 22nd Psalm and you don't get 
the 23rd without the 22nd, I think is how you said that, yes. So let's think a little bit in Colossians 2, 6 through 15, receiving Christ is the coming of the Savior in the midst of need. So if you look at the verses, as therefore you received Christ Jesus the Lord, so live in him, rooted and built up in him and established in the faith, just as you were taught, abounding in thanksgiving, which I love this because what it actually says in Greek is abounding in Eucharistia, abounding in Eucharist. And so let's think about this just a little bit. These verses 6 through 15 he, he goes on and says, See to it that no one makes a prey of you by philosophy and empty deceit, according to human tradition, elemental spirits of the universe, and not according to Christ. For in him the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily. So it's very similar to Colossians 1.15. And you have come to fullness of life in him who is the head of all rule and authority. So when we think about these, these words, these words are predicated upon the, on verse 3 and the notions of hearts being comforted and confirmed in the riches of conviction and understanding. So back to verse 3. In whom are hid all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. Okay, so we desire wisdom and knowledge we want the comfort, the consolation, the encouragement of our Lord. And so this gets to the notion then of asking for help. So Christians tend to want to help people, but maybe we're not as good about asking for help. Does this resonate with anybody in this room? <laughs> And, you know, what are some reasons that we don't like to ask for help? Sometimes you just don't even know what to ask for. That's a good one. Sometimes you just don't even know what to ask for. We don't want to be a burden. Don't want to be a burden. Okay, we don't want to be a burden. That's true. We want to appear strong. What, we want to appear strong? Pride. Pride. Yes, exactly. Pride is a big one. Yeah, are there any other... Why don't we ask for our own help? Shame. Oh, yeah. That is so true. You can't get the help you need. So you're afraid to ask because you can't get the help you need. Exactly. Lack of trust. So not knowing how to ask for it and not knowing how to like, specify this is, this is what I need and not trusting people to like provide you Yes. Oh, that's, these are all really good. Any others? Yes, Kathy. I think a preconceived notion of what I need versus what would actually help me. Oh, that's a good point. So I want to control. Yes. We like to control. Yes, we do like to control the way we want to be helped. That's a very good one. That is very true. Well, maybe we don't know uh, what Paul is 
saying, why, why, should, why we need to be comforted. He says the full assurance, full assurance and faith of Christ. Full assurance. I, I, I like the way he says it. It's nice, isn't it? To, uh, chapter 2, verse 2, to reach all the riches of the full assurance of understanding and knowledge, which is Christ. And we, I don't think I really realized how much I need that. Yeah. The, f- the comfort of other people and his word so that, you know, we can have that. Yeah, so you can have that. That's probably what they're saying. They didn't really know Christ. Yes. He wanted them to be comforted so that they would know that. Yes. And think about this in terms of Gnostic thought forms. So if if you have, if you're a, a, a Christian, a young Christian in the church in Colossa, and you have a lot of Gnostic thoughts that you have learned, and now you've been taught the Christian way, but you still have friends or family who are Gnostics in your community, and the Gnostic view is, you know, there are two sides to the Gnostic view, right? Since the material form is evil, there were two sides, two ways you could fall off the, all off the horse, right? You could, you could say, I have to completely renounce everything physical, you know, and like not give in to anything and try to be completely spiritual and holy. The other side was, hey, the flesh is going to do what the flesh does, so hey, let's go party, right? It was two sides to it. And so as a young Christian in Colossae, you know, you're dealing with these things. So comfort, present comfort, full assurance in Christ, bodily, you know, how do I live as a Christian? Because, you know, he addresses that here in chapter two, the living part, we live as a Christian in this world. And so, you know, that's easy. Back to my question, it's easy if we want to help somebody else but it's hard to acknowledge our own weaknesses and needs and to seek help. And part of the trouble in all of this is, as I've said before, in the Bible, solitude is an attribute of, of hell. You know, the rich man and Lazarus, the rich man dies and is buried and he's in Hades and he's seemingly alone. But then Lazarus, dies and is carried by the angels to heaven and he sits in the arms of Abraham. And I always wondered, why is he in the arms of Abraham and not Jesus? And the thing I came up with was he's in community, holy community. You know, he's with all the, right? He's with all that, that was and he's not alone. And so part of our asking for help and seeking seeking some, some, some of our needs to be met um, is very important because we don't want to uh, struggle and suffer alone. Yes. But sometimes when you're suffering, there's sorrow, there's shame, there's any of those kinds of emotions along that level, you can't ask for help. You just... It's so hard. Because the emotions prevent it. Good point. Is that the Holy Spirit hears our groanings when we don't have exactly, and that that is at least part.
part of the comfort, right? That even if you don't know what to say or what to ask for or how to say it, or you don't really see how you could be helped, um, you have the Holy Spirit and the Lord Jesus with you. And as we gather in church, as we gather around the altar, we are not alone. We, are, we have the Christians, each other, gathered together. Uh, we have all the company of heaven that gathers around. And we are truly in holy community. So that's, that's very valuable. Um, so Paul is, in a way, leading us into this kind of comfort in a roundabout sort of a way. And, boy, I've got so much scripture here to look at. Um, but I have a story, though. And I don't want to lose my... I don't want to Because this is great. So, so before I tell the story, look at the baptismal language here in chapter 2. So in verse 11, In him also you were circumcised with a circumcision made without hands by putting off the body of flesh in the circumcision of Christ and you were buried with him in baptism in which you were also raised with him through faith in the working of God who raised him from the dead and you who were dead in trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh God made alive together with him having forgiven us all our trespasses, having canceled the bond which stood against us with its legal demands. This he set aside, nailing it to the cross. Do you hear all this like material language? Nailed it to a cross, buried, raised, you know, talking about flesh. And this is so important for us to think about. I think this language, buried with him, it's very similar to Romans chapter 6. So you were buried with him in baptism in which you were also raised with him through faith in the working of God. Romans 6 speaks similarly. And I know I've mentioned this to you before, but he says in Romans 6, do you not know that all, this is us, Romans 6, verse 3. Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were buried, therefore, with him by baptism into death, so that as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. Then in verse 5, For if we have been united with him in a death like his... We shall certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. So united in Greek, I've mentioned this before, the Greek word is symphotos, which literally means to be planted together. So the Romans loved vines. They loved wine. So they grew their vines. And he's giving them language, imagery about what vines do. You plant two vines side by side and they grow together. So you've been planted together with Christ in his death, and therefore you are planted together with him in his resurrection. You're like this with Jesus, you know? And that is 
true. It's not just flowery imagery. It's not just flowery language. He's saying, when you were plunged into the waters of baptism, you were transported back, and as Christ hung on the cross, that's your death. As he was buried, so were you buried. As you come out of the water and you have this newness of life, you're united in the resurrection of Christ. As he was raised on the third day, so are you raised. This is your life. It's not just language. It's not just imagery. It's true and real. It happened to you. And this leads to my story. When I was in Indiana, I had this, uh, this one young gal who I think she was probably 18 at the time. And she came into the church and I took her through catechesis and, and baptized her. And she started coming to church all the time. And she, uh, then maybe like, Two years later, a couple years later, uh, she Facebooks me and she says, hey, can you pray for my grandpa? He's at the hospital and, and he's not doing well. And I said, sure, I'll pray. I'll pray for him. And um, I said, you know, does, does he go to church? Has he been baptized? And she says, um, no, I don't think so. And she said, let me ask. And so she asked, I think, her grandma. And her grandma said, no, he's never been baptized. He, doesn't, he won't go to church. And uh, her grandma was a, a very, very active Baptist. And um, so I said, well, I'll, I'll, pray for, I'll pray for your grandpa. And if you need anything, let me know. And so then, like a day later... She Facebooks me again and she says, well, we got some not good news and um, we're, I'm really worried about my grandpa because he hasn't been baptized. Like she hadn't thought, of, I think until I asked the question, she hadn't thought that he hadn't been baptized. And so then all of a sudden now she's, she's worried because he hasn't been baptized. And I said, well, I said, I don't want to step on any toes over there, you know, but I said, if, if you want me to baptize um, I'd be glad to do that. And she says, well, he, he doesn't like anything religion. And I said, well, would he, would he like a visit? I said, I'll go to the hospital and visit him if he doesn't have a pastor. And she said, let me ask. And, and they said, yeah. And so I said, okay, I'll go and visit. So I went up and it, he was this, <clears throat> you know, this was in Northwest Indiana. He was a, a hard uh, blue collar steel mill guy, old, old steel mill worker. And so he's, he's lying in the bed in the hospital and I walk in in my collar and he grimaces, you know, and I'm like, yeah, I know, I've, I've seen that before, you know, I'm like, yeah. And uh, I said, hey, I said, don't worry, I'm not, I'm not trying to convert you today. I'm just, I just wanted to come and say hi, you know, I'm Amber's pastor and, you know, so on. And I said, uh, We'll just talk, you know. So I had a conversation with him, and uh, I said, can I say a prayer with you? And he says, eh, you can do whatever. I don't know. <laughs> yeah. I'm like, okay. So I prayed, and I prayed for him. 
And I said, see you later, and left. And then uh, I went back the next day, same thing, grimaces when he sees me come in. I did the same thing, prayed with him. He was maybe a little less edgy the second time, and uh, left. And then, maybe like a day or two later, I get a text from this young gal, and she says, we got really bad news. And he's not expected to live much longer. And I said, um, have you guys talked about baptism? And she said, well, because I, I said, I will come up and I will, I will baptize him and talk to him. And so she said, let me ask. And I didn't know how it was going to go, right? Because remember, his wife is Baptist. And she texts me back and says, yes, baptize, come on up. So like I get into like crazy mode, you know, and so I grab my stuff, you know, I'm grabbing everything. I grab a crucifix and, and boom, I take off on the highway and it's, it's up in Merrillville. So I, I'm flying up there and I get in and I'm like tunnel vision, you know, I'm totally focused. So I get up on whatever floor it was and I'm like looking around like a crazy person going, where is he? Where is he? You know? And so I'm, I, I head down the hallway looking for the room number and I see all these people standing outside a room in a huddle. And I'm like, uh-oh, I think this is the room. I, I hope he didn't die, right? That's what I'm thinking. I'm like, I hope he didn't die. You know, I want to baptize this guy. And it just looked like family and people. And I saw the grandma, you know, the, the, the wife. And so I went into the room and I go into the room and so the young gal that was my member and her fiance and her parents were standing there in the, in the hospital room with grandpa in the bed. And I'm like, okay, I'm like, we got to get some water. I had a crucifix. I got the baptismal right. You know, I got to talk to him, you know. And, and they're, they're not moving. They're just standing there. And I'm like, what's going on here? And, and the young lady's dad says, isn't this awkward? And I'm like, isn't what awkward? You know, I'm like, what's awkward? What am I missing here? And he says, that's grandma's pastor out there. Oh. And I'm like, grandma's pastor's out there. Well, what happened was grandma said, in a pinch, baptize. And then she came to and she's like, oh, wait a minute. My husband is a sinner, you know. So she calls the Baptist pastor, and he makes a beeline, and he would lived closer than I did. So he got there first. So they're out in the hallway having a conversation. Yes, they're having this conversation, and he's trying to talk her out of the baptism. Okay? And so I'm like, okay, so I walk out. I walk out into the hallway, and I'm like, hey, how's what's going on out here? And, uh, and nobody said anything. And I said, I put my arm around the grandma and I said, uh, would you like your husband baptized today? And she starts crying and says, no, no, no. And then the Baptist pastor steps in, literally, literally takes a step in the circle and says, well, you know, we don't believe in baptism. 
and he's a sinner and he has never given his life to Jesus and he doesn't go to church and he's never believed and right and he starts rolling this stuff off so anyway this little nurse is standing here and she like gets in the huddle and she's literally like this like listening in <laughs> And, 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 I, and I'm like, and I start rattling off some scripture passages. And I'm like, well, what about this? And what about First Peter? And, you know, Peter says, baptism now saves you. I'm like, what do you do with that verse, you know? And so, you know, I was being gentle because I didn't want a war, you know? <laughs> I mean, I just was like, but... Most people don't want wars. They just step into them. Yeah, exactly. And this is my, remember... I'm a lightning rod for crazy and the weird. I mean, this is true. You know, this happens to me all the time. So anyway, I'm just gently trying to like recall to his mind some scripture passages. And, and I was explaining our view of baptism and the little nurse is right next to me like this with her ear perked up. And I finally was like, I, I, I kind of stopped and like, can, can I help you? You know, I'm like, I'm trying to feel like, like, what's she doing, you know? And she says, I think this is fascinating. She said, I've never seen anything like this in my life. <laughs> and I'm like, okay, all right. So anyway, what I did was I said, well, here's, here's the deal. You know, Peter says baptism now saves you. Here's, you know, Jesus commanded baptism in Matthew 28, you know, here's all this baptismal language, Colossians 2, Romans 6. I said, we are all conceived and born in sin. That's scriptural. And I said, here's what I think. I said, he's going to die. So why don't we, if he wants to be baptized, why don't we baptize him, right? And so I said, let's go in and just talk to him, you know. So the grandma comes in and the other family members come in and the nurse. So, so here's the thing. The nurse actually plays a part in all of this. It was amazing. Like, I'm like, where'd she come from? And then she becomes like this vital piece in the whole puzzle. So what happens is we go in and the nurse goes up to grandpa and she asks some questions, you know, with everybody in hearing. She's like, What's your name? Where are you? Who's that? Pointing to his wife, you know. How long have you been married? And so he answers all the questions, and she says, he's of sound mind. Ask your questions. So what I did was, then I talked to him a little bit about baptism, and I asked him, you know, do you want to be baptized? And he said, yes. And so we... we he left. So he didn't even go in the room. Good question. I was gonna. I was gonna get to that. So he left. He wouldn't even go in the room. And so I went through the baptismal rite, and I baptized the the old the old man. And then he literally, like right afterwards, just fell into a nice nap. It was amazing. It was like he, it was so like calming, and he just like. And then, you know, I'm so happy. And grandma's over on the other side of the bed. And, and I walked over and I knelt down and I put my arm around her and I said, now, aren't you glad that we did this today? And you know what her response was? 
She started crying again and she said, no, no. And I'm like, why no? I mean, you know, you just heard your, your husband confess faith in Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, which you always wanted, right? You, you always wanted to get him to go to church and he never would. And now here, he is going to die and you've just seen God at work. So, you know, there's several things going on in this. Um, one is the actual baptism with water and the word of God, right? So it's tangible. And then the other thing is she gets to see God at work in his life right before he dies. And he died, I think, like deep into the night. And it was really kind of amazing. And, um, and it didn't matter to me, but guess who did the funeral? The Baptist minister did the funeral. Isn't that something? So, like, I don't know, like, but, but it was... And why was she not happy that the Baptist happened because of what the Baptist minister told Yeah, so their belief at that church was he was a sinner. He had not given his life to Jesus. Right. And so he did not deserve baptism. So see, baptism becomes law instead of gospel. Yes? Well, wouldn't they still, I mean, maybe this is just a part of the church or something, but wouldn't they still believe in, like, the last-minute conversion? And then, like, if you pray the prayer at the last second and said, oh, I see what baptism is and I have faith in Jesus as my Savior, please come into my heart. <laughs> yeah, right. And then you were baptized, you know, for that was still... It, do you think, is that something where it's like, well, there's not as much worth in the... Like you're not, you're just being a coward or something. Well, yeah. Pastor that would say, no, you can't. Like, right? Yeah. Isn't it? I mean, I would think that they would have a better like than never approach. Like, yeah. he has a good But today's a great day. Let me go in there and talk to him. Yeah, I found it all. I'm saying, tell you, stay out when he goes in. Right. I was very surprised by all of it, really. And I didn't even, I, I kind of had the same questions that you ladies have in this regard. Um, but, you know, I mean, it is true, not to be overly harsh, but non-sacramental folks do have a little bit of a Gnostic twinge to them because God is holy, this is material, God's in heaven, how could he be here? And so um, the sacraments in those cases do lack a divine quality. Even if there might be a divine mandate, they lack the power. And so the thing is, is there's language of mystery in Colossians 2. I don't know if you caught that. But, you know, before they were called the sacraments, they were called the sacred mysteries, the sacraments. And so there was this understanding of this divine activity within these, within these gifts. And we give thanks for that, don't we? 
what a blessing it is to have God provide sacramental gifts where he says he will be. And so see, this connects all these different dots. So true and present comfort and encouragement and presence is right there in the waters of baptism, in the Eucharistic meal. And we are able to receive them, receive them, benefit from them, and rejoice in our Lord's love that comes down to us. Did the nurse get baptized? (laughs) (laughs) She was a Roman Catholic. And so she was, you know, she understood the sacramental side to things. Um, I thought that's how the story was. Yeah, right. She would be next. <laughs> yeah, Donna. Yeah. And he would have died. He may have been saved. Yeah. Right, because the word is powerful too. Right, like, well, yes. So you, uh, if a person does not have the opportunity to be baptized, right? Yeah, you hear the word. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, so uh, we, yeah, thank you. So we, uh, let's close with the collect, with the collect and benediction. Uh, next Friday, we do not meet since it's uh, Good Friday, but then we'll pick back up the following and we'll roll along, okay? All right, let us pray. O God, whose beloved Son, choosing the paths of earth, went not up to joy, but first he suffered pain, nor to his glory before embracing a cross, plant his cross in our hearts, that in its power and love we may come to the joyful end of our faith and a heavenly crown. Through the same Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. Amen. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine on you and be gracious to you. The Lord look upon you with favor and give you peace. Amen. Amen.